Predation. These will be subject to de-emphasis. These will be subject to de-evolution. New evolutionary paradigm will give us the human traits of truth, of loyalty, of justice, of freedom. These will be manifestations of the new evolution. And that is what we would hope to see from this. Welcome to another episode of the Esoteric Negro. Today our guest is Darcy Staniforth, a friend to the show, and she's an academic, writer, performer, and paranormal investigator. Darcy has been interested in the paranormal since she was very young, and that interest has carried her into both her personal and professional life. Darcy holds an MA in American Studies, and in addition to the paranormal, her research areas include race and ethnicity, gender and sexuality, ideals and institutions, and death and dying. As an artist and performer, Darcy is a podcaster, comedian, writer, and amateur magician. She currently resides in a haunted house in Southern California. Darcy's one of the most uh, authentic, interesting people that I've met since we started this podcast. And we hope you enjoy the episode today. Um, So do you want to introduce yourself to everyone and... Sure. I'd be happy to do that. I think it's always cooler when the guest does. Yeah. When it's not, you're just like, hello. Um... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, My name is Darcy Staniforth. I'm an academic uh, and a paranormal and occult researcher and investigator. I study everything from race and ethnicity, gender and sexuality, ideals and institutions, uh, with my more focused area of study being death, dying and grief in American culture. But most recently, I've been looking at a lot around problems in the paranormal and occult communities in regards to issues of racism, sexism, homophobia, and anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And she's cool. <laughs> it's really cool and fun to talk to. It doesn't feel, it, I love it when the conversations are easy, you know, because right? I'm starting to get into um, a little like headier stuff, but it's, it's, there's, I love an approachable academic intellectual person, right? Because they're always, it's never like, again like we just talked about like oh if you don't you should know that it's like oh you don't know well here's all these cool things mm-hmm. it's always an excitement when someone's interested in what you're yeah yeah know? and i i mean i think for me i have the advantage that i didn't just grow up in academia if that makes sense because i know a lot mm-hmm. of academics that never had day jobs <laughs> <laughs> and i did not come to academia you know, I'm not, I'm a non-traditional student. I'm a first generational student. I was an adult returning college student. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like I went straight to college right out of high school because we couldn't afford it because we were super mm-hmm. poor. Uh, so I think if I had come up in academia, it might be very different. But mm-hmm. I've, I have a lot of experience in the world <laughs> where like one of my coworkers was like, just when I think I've learned all of the things that you've done, you throw something else at me. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I I've worked in this world and a whole life. Yeah, I had a whole life before this, which is great. And it's like it's weird because I'm very careful to say that because I don't want people to think that I'm like I had a life before. (laughs) I don't want them to think that. But at the same time, it's like I know for myself, people who open the door 
to let me learn about things or, you know, showed me like, oh, the, this, like, come on along, let me show you. Those were like the best educators, the best teachers for me. And that doesn't just mean teaching mm -hmm. in a formalized sense, because I also know too that like the formal classroom is not for everybody. Like I absolutely see that. I'm the daughter of an electrician. My dad was an electrician for 55 years. So mm -hmm. I know that like we need everyone to do everything. And like, I need engineers, I need craftsmen, I need all these other folks, because um, I can study those things all you want, but things won't get built. Like, don't mm -hmm. ask me to do the math. I need scientists. <laughs> I need mm -hmm. all these other people because I'm just not, uh, I, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, yeah. Exactly. We need we need everybody doing different things. And I think, yeah, that's something that that does get lost. Forget how important um forget how important jobs that we don't necessarily know how to do and other, you know, jobs function because we put so much importance on whatever we're really interested in, I guess. Totally. Um, so what we had decided to have a conversation, I think a couple of days ago and I was like, I gotta get you to talk on the podcast because you've been super supportive and I think both we both have had conversations out with, without with other people and with each other about cultural the cultural implications of what's happening in the in the spiritual community mm -hmm. and you shared some first of all tell us how you got you know, let's start from the beginning. Tell us how you got interested in all this, this stuff. Because I don't even think we talked about that. Yeah. Before. So when I, you know, my parents are the first people that ever told me a ghost story. And they told me about their time in England. My dad was born and raised in England. And so when my parents were first together, uh, they went back over to England. And my mother wanted to sleep in a castle in a four-post bed. That was her big, like, I'd like to, I'd like to do this. <laughs> So my dad made it happen and which by the way, makes my dad sound like he comes from hoity-toity England. He does not, he comes from very working class Sheffield is where he came from. And so that like, that was, that was not his youth. <laughs> that was not his youth. <laughs> so they go and they're, you know, having this amazing vacation and they go to bed and they can, and my mom gets woken up in the middle of the night by loud banging and fighting in the room next door. Like just like this ruckus that's happening. A man and a woman like going back and forth fighting. Mm -hmm. So she goes back to bed. She keeps getting woken up by this. Then my dad eventually gets woken up by this and just was not a restful night. So the next morning they go to check out and the con you know, the concierge is like, Mr. and Mrs. Staniforth, how, how were things? And they mentioned like, oh, someone next door was really having a rough night. And the, the hotel concierge mentioned like, oh, or the person checking them out, whatever said, you know, oh, well, you were staying in a room next to a man who also happened to be named Staniforth, who years ago killed the maid who was his lover. Oh. So they 
theorize that they were hearing that like replay out. So that's like yeah. the first ghost story I ever heard. Like my oh my parents goodness, your parents are, are like, first people kid, that ever told you. Me <laughs> I know, right? Like, whoa, okay. And so when you hear this as a kid, you're just like, well, this is stuff that happens. And my dad mm -hmm. was very, um, very much about the woo in his own way. He was very mm -hmm. positive mental attitude. Like he was always known for saying like, listen to the voice you're talking to yourself in. So if you were having a conversation with him and you were being negative or talking about how things weren't working, he would say, listen to the voice you're talking to yourself in. And, and, you know, as a kid, it was like, oh, this again. But <laughs> now as an adult, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, to I understand. I, I get it. And I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And my grandmother who helped raise me when I was very little, who had come over from England, always talked about me being an old soul. And so there's just a lot of this kind of language, right? Like this, yeah. uh, you know, language around old souls and ghosts and things like that. And I can, I used to watch In Search Of as a kid. Like I love that show so much. And I have the Mysteries of the Unknown book series. I convinced my parents to buy that for me from Time Life. And just, I, I was the kid that checked out all the books on ghosts and everything and wanted to UFOs and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all of those things. But as a teenager, I got invited to a Bible study and started down the path of Christianity for many, many years and was told you don't mess with that stuff. So mm. even though I still believed in it and was like this, but this is cool. Cause like, holy ghosts. So ghosts are fine. Right. Really kind of put those things aside and for a long time and then came back to it, honestly, really after in a more major way, like after my father died around the time my dad was dying mm -hmm. and after he passed, because I just knew that these, for me, I knew that these things were things that I believed in, that I wanted to explore. And I was tired of fitting into this box. Um, there's a lot of other church trauma in there that we won't get into yeah. in this. But so, you know, coming back to that and really then just being really unapologetic and like, these are the things I'm going to be interested in and study and connect with and talk to people about. And so then this has mixed in with my academic life because, you know, when you get trained academically in a certain way, you see everything through that lens. And so my field is American studies, which is the how and why of American history and culture. Mm. So I'm constantly looking at uh, the how and why of these things, power dynamics, narratives, who's writing these stories. And so when I look at paranormal narratives, when I look at esoteric narratives, when I look to people who are leading movements, things like that, I'm always looking at it with that really critical lens. Mm -hmm. So it's just kind of been this trajectory of, you know, leaving things. I don't even want to say I leave them behind. I just say set them aside and then coming back to them. Yeah. As a grown up. I think, so. I, think I think that's, we'll talk about that's the same thing that I did. And so when when did you go on your, I mean, you told me a little bit like you've done some investigating on your own. When did you go on your first like um, paranormal investigation or when did you first like make a trip somewhere? Or something like <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten to go super far uh, because the more that I've gotten connected with folks in this world, then the world shut down. So there's a lot mm. of, there's a lot of after time plans for sure. <laughs> 
but I've done local things and, mm. you know, done things in people's houses or locally here. I've investigated the Waffle House, which is not the restaurant. It's an actual historic. I got really excited for it. I know, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, the Haunted Waffle House. But it's it's not the first time I've actually investigated that place. I've investigated there a couple times, but I recently went back because it's the Waffle How House. So in Orange County, California, Dr. How Waffle, she was the first female doctor in this whole area. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, delivered babies and treated people and all these things. And it's this stunning Victorian house that is in downtown Santa Ana. That is a historically preserved site. The original location it was on is actually a block away. It's now a Burger King, but they moved the house. So where it sits okay. now is not its actual original space. The people at the Burger King report hearing footsteps on the second floor, but there's no second floor. It's just on the roof, but there's nobody up there. So they've had weird things. And then the house in itself, I had first investigated, geez, to 2002, 2003, and had experiences there with a group uh, that were really strange and weird but nothing malicious like just mm-hmm. like oh that there's was, people here yeah there's people here i i consider myself a sensitive i consider myself very uh, like an empath and i know that's mm-hmm. like the hot word everyone uses but i definitely can feel things in spaces for mm-hmm. sure i've done some you know mini investigating like not hey uh sanctioned investigating but mini investigating of my own like on the queen mary and other like historic sites because the best thing about having a cell phone is you always have a recorder on the phone. So there'll be times that things will be happening and I'll just turn on the recorder and start asking questions. <laughs> and so it's been a lot more local. Mm-hmm. I but as I as my network is continuing to grow and new friends from across the country, like <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I can't wait till the world is open again and we're safe to go investigating and and go hanging out. So I'm looking forward to a lot more of that. I I would love to say like, oh, I've gotten to do all this boots on the ground, but not as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my own house has weird spiritual activity in it. So that in itself is fun. This house is 100 years old. Oh. And the, we own the house, uh, the two owners, two previous, because there was a guy that flipped it in between, but the last like long time owner passed in this house unexpectedly on halloween oh wonderful (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i've worked to you know as things happen i try and i know his name and share the space (laughs) yeah so i just try and talk and just Mm -hmm. acknowledge uh you know hey is that you when things are happening because we we get weird phenomena um electronics love to turn themselves on and off Mm Granted, the wiring in the house is crappy, so but like <laughs> weird things like the TV is off and then the TV is just on. Yeah. Oh, other electronics like to turn themselves on and off, but the doors have opened and closed by themselves uh, and not mm. just like old house. Oh, that was moisture, but like opened, like really opened and, and closed. And then smells which is the most interesting thing because they're very specific they're uh usually blueberry muffins 
is a smell that shows up a lot. And I love blueberry muffins. I don't bake blueberry muffins though. And you can't, it's not my neighbors because that's not mm-hmm. the way that the, the smells work in our house. <laughs> like that sounds strange, but our house has a galley kitchen. Anything cooked in the kitchen, you can smell in other parts of the house, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really come in from the next door neighbors. And so blueberry muffins and then cigarettes, no smokers in this house. Uh, and then also Chinese food. These three very specific smells that show up time and time and time again. So it's just weird. Again, I don't feel like it's anything malicious. Yeah. I think it's just maybe somebody like, hanging hey, out. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. Yeah. So <laughs> some blueberry muffins. I mean, if I'm going to get a weird paranormal smell, I'll take Blu-ray muffins because right. I've, you know, I've heard. I don't want, I don't want the, the gross ones. Yeah. Exactly. yeah right. I don't want people like, that's the smell of death and decay. Like, oh, no, like, thank no, you. No, no. <laughs> yeah. I definitely, I mean, I, I obviously like I, I am not a, I was just talking to uh, some hardcore cultists earlier. I'm definitely not a practitioner of like sorcery sorcery you know but i definitely believe in i do leave things out for like a friend told me that my uncle was around so i left out some you know brown liquor said leave out some brown liquor and i've done that you know so i do believe in those kind of things you know or or doing those kind of rituals so i mean it's it's believe you're you're in the right place so (laughs) you're talking to friends you're amongst right and that's that's really i love getting to meet and connect with new like new folks doing like oh this and and i've I've said this in the past but it's just like i feel like now as an adult we're getting to find all the people we would have been best friends with as kids like oh this is what i like let's hang out we're gonna be friends now and i get very excited like that just because you know finding like-minded people being able to talk about things is like i i want to do that i don't want to have silly small talk like let's talk Mm -hmm. about these things exactly let's talk about stuff that we get excited about yeah when did you start noticing like i mean since you obviously for your job you work with uh, a lot of people of color poc Mm -hmm. BIPOC. and when did you start i mean i'm sure you've always noticed in the spiritual community but when did you start saying okay this is something that we probably need to take a look second look at it or change or something i mean there's there's been a couple instances for sure one go go to paranormal conventions or go to, going to see speakers yeah. that often you're like oh this is a, a not a very diverse room mm-hmm. uh so that that can happen a lot and i also think too when on another project that i've been working on a podcast project that i'm working on called mysteries decoded you know, we, as we're putting together topics and, and trying to put together interviews to go and try and find, because my, with my training, I'm always trying to find not top down. Like, I don't want to hear from the winners. I want to hear from everybody else. Right. Because we've Mm -hmm. seen in American history, we've seen the world history. It's the winners that write the narratives and that's where the power dynamics lie. So I'm always trying to find out like, who else is in this world? Who else can I talk to about these things? And it's it's not that easy. I'm not saying that BIPOC people aren't out there because they are. But when you're looking at, you know, oh, who can we get to in this field or who can we get to in this field? That 
it you're you're it takes a long time and we're talking like we're talking about layers of initially you're gonna hit white men yeah like you're gonna hit white men and then you'll find women but then depending on what kind of women that you find and i don't i don't want to be disparaging of women because I think women do that to one another enough as it is, but mm -hmm. you've got women, you know, you, you do find also the very like right wing conservative QAnon going into a conspiracy world kind of folks. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in that. Like, I'm just like, I mean, I'm interested in that, but I'm not interested in that to entertain it, to be like, let me give you a platform. Like that's, mm. mm -hmm. and then fighting women on the other side, it's like, you know, okay, like now let's talk. So talking through that and then again, finding creators of color and practicer, you know, practitioners of color and things like that. And I also really want to be aware that, I mean, on, on the show that I'm putting together right now, we're, we're talking about really specific things. It's not quite as free form and like, oh, this is the topic we're going to do because of the constraints we, constraints we have around constraints isn't the right word, but like, the way that we plan out the show, it's not it's not just like, oh, this is who I'm gonna record with this week. It's a it's a different setup. And so when but when I'm looking at certain topics, I'm looking for really specific people and then trying to find BIPOC people within that realm. And there's been folks I've approached who I know have like talked on these subjects or mm -hmm. work in these subjects. Either I've I've had people tell me no. I've had people tell me, um, or people just not get back to me. But again, like I also can understand because you don't, you don't know me, right? You don't mm -hmm. know, am I bringing you on to be weird about things? Am I going to tokenize? Like you don't know. And so I think there's that aspect of it, but I think the other aspect too is the fact that and you and I have talked about this a bit, like it's a position of privilege to even have the space to think about these things. Mm -hmm. Like it mm -hmm. is a total position of privilege to be like, let's sit back and talk about, you know, talk to occultists and talk about Bigfoot and talk about these things because like for me, survival is not on the line every day. Mm, and I yeah. recognize that. I recognize that. And I think being really, you know, whether it's being in the world, the the world of woo or being in front of students, I'm very aware of how I present. I present as a white, heteronormative, educated woman in a position of power. Mm -hmm. So I need to be aware of how I show up as an ally, how, how I show up as a co-conspirator, how I show up to support and part, you know, part of that has also been my commitment to lifelong learning. Like I, you're, you know, it's one of the things that I talk to folks a lot about whether or not they are trying to learn more about how they can be an ally or learn more about the issues that are happening around race, around equity, around the violence that's happening to marginalized communities, whatever topic they're trying to learn about, it's like, you're not going to learn it in a weekend. You're not going to learn it from an article you read. You have got to be committed to 
lifelong learning. And you've got to be committed to asking, asking folks and being willing to say, like, you know, prime example on this is not quite as tied into to woo, but like over summer with everything that was happening, people were talking about uh, white fragility. Like, oh, every all, all the way people I knew were just like, white fragility, have you read this book? And I was like, there's <laughs> other books. There's other books, yeah. right? And other people were saying there's other books. And, you know, I, I always want to see people push themselves. Like, I want you to get uncomfortable. I want you to understand that growth and change takes time and it doesn't happen over a weekend. It doesn't happen. You don't cram for it. You don't get to be like, well, I watched these documentaries and I celebrated Black History Month. So here I am. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I acknowledge the land that I'm on. Great. These are all <laughs> I want all these things to happen. But at the same time, like when we go into spaces whether it be academic spaces, everyday spaces, paranormal spaces, those things, we really have to understand, white folks have to understand their privilege in those things. They have to understand how they are contributing to the narrative or mm, detrimentally affecting the narrative as well, right? Because we see a lot of this around dark tourism. Uh, we see this when people are like, I'm going to a haunted plantation. And you're just like, I need I need you to consider the history of what you are involving yourself with, because yeah, for sure. <laughs> like those those are things because it is fun to talk about all these things, but we do not need to do it at the expense of other people. No, and we don't need to do it. Like we don't need to compound the oppression that's already been there. Yeah, and you know I even. I, th I think that, you know, even having, it's just, you know, it's very odd to me with uh, dark tourism, like, speaking of, we can dive into it more later. It's always, um, like, there was a guy who, who was like, oh, look what I got on TikTok. And he had bought, um, I think he had bought Jeffrey Dahmer's, a pair of Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses. Mm. And, you know, I, I think not just the tourism, right? Paranormal tourism. There's just something. And, and when you're a fan of all this or you're interested in all this stuff, I think there, there's obviously like a fine line, right? There's this fine line of, 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 am I, am I just looking at this as some kind of freak show and like, you know, taking the empathy out and not really looking at that people's lives were actually affected because Jeffrey Dahmer, if you think about it, like he, who were his victims? Right. You know, and I, I said, well, I said, you know, I really, maybe I wouldn't be so bothered if, if, you know, some of these items that people are buying, whether it's Gacy or whoever, were some of these items, the money was going to charity or something, right? Because most of these people, and even talking about the Cecil Hotel and Richard Ramirez, a lot of these people's victims were, are people at the bottom as you were talking about. And, and law enforcement doesn't care or they don't care as much, right? Like there's there's the, I'm not thinking about like all the names around the case, but there's the case I think back in Detroit where the man murdered like nine women 
and hid their bodies all in a house. And I think because many of them were prostitutes. That's prostitutes, right? And we see this othering of sex workers. We see this othering of people of color. We see this othering of homeless. Like, whatever it is, whatever is, like, and, and... and it's one of the things that is so hard for me, but I'm I'm glad to see that there is a turn happening. Um, and I I want to like in especially when it comes to like true crime, is and I think the person that really did a good job of turning this is Michelle McNamara, who wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And uh, even though that book was finished posthumously, Michelle really focused on the victims and the the people that were affected by that crime and not giving all this glorification to, to D'Angelo who ended up being caught, you know, after the fact, but even HBO's documentary series did such a good job of focusing on, on the people who were affected by this, not as much about sensationalizing who he was. And I think we're starting to see that turn in things, which is great because I am, I, I love true crime. I love ghost stories. I love all those things. But I also have, like, I can't take the empathy out of it. I can't take the fact that, you know, when someone's gone missing, like, their entire family's life is forever changed. Forever changed. And you can't, you can't take that, you can't take that out of it. To me, I think when it comes to, like, true crime, ghost stories, things like that, you can't, I mean, people do, but you shouldn't take the empathy out of it. There are people at the heart of those stories. There are people that lose their lives. There are people that, you know, are somebody's mother, brother, son, daughter, aunt, grandma, grandma. Like, these these are ancestors, right? These are the people that have come before. And whether, you know, it was, oh, it seems like, you know, grandma passed and doesn't know that she's gone. Or going on the true crime tip, something horribly happened to these folks. Like they're still people. And I'm just, I'm not a gore hound. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I will watch true crime. I'm fascinated by those things. I'm fascinated by ghost stories and paranormal events, but I don't, I don't want to glorify mass murderers. Like that's mm-hmm. just, that's not a route that I go down because energy wise, I don't think it's a great place to spend my time. Mm-hmm. And I personally, like, I don't, I couldn't own, I couldn't personally own a pair of glasses that I knew came from like a mass murderer. Like that yeah. just, mm-mm. Yeah. I, and and it, at past 19 or 20 something years old, when you're like, if you haven't learned that, I mean, now we know better time-wise but it's just like at some point like the edginess of you know um what was the faces of death or whatever it is you know like nobody's trying like if if you're really interested interested in that and i just you know and i think that that's also a privileged thing too because if you come from a group of people that have trauma that's and never really seen justice done Mm -hmm. justice served right I think that's a, the issue. I think that's why a lot of people are like, you know, my favorite serial killer is is so and so, you know, and it's just like, and then the in I last year it was the how hot Ted Bundy was, which he wasn't. It was like a solid six. <laughs> You're like mm. Midwest six. I mean, right? Not and- really that attractive. I don't know what. 
But I think that <laughs> I think where people get wrapped up in that is because we want the monster to look like the monster. Mm. Right? We want we want Ted Bundy to look like a total like we want to see him coming a mile away. Why? Yeah. Because we all want to think I wouldn't have fallen for that. Yeah. I wouldn't have gotten kidnapped. I wouldn't have gotten murdered. Like yeah. we, that's how we think. That's why we look at car crashes, right? Like maybe if I look at the car crash, I don't end up in the car crash. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people, cause they want him to look like the monster and he doesn't look like a monster. Mm -mm. He doesn't. The and there's a lot of people yeah. out there that are horrible people that don't look like monsters. Yeah. But yeah. that's, that's also where our fascination with horror about mm -hmm. monsters comes in right and where the racial implications in that right where people mm -hmm. go like oh well you don't look like me so therefore i can play i can project all of these things onto you right and talking mm -hmm. about like you're talking about generational trauma and no justice for generational trauma like absolutely when you're just like i don't know life's been pretty good so you can kind of look into these things because generational trauma doesn't doesn't affect you. It doesn't land on your shores. And and it may it probably will never. And that is not to say that folks don't have things in their family, but we're not talking about we're we're not talking about a family like a family is one thing. Talking about an entire group of people who have been subjugated, who have been oppressed, who are continued to be oppressed, who the systems in America are built to continue to oppress that's a that's a very different thing than it was rough in our family for a couple generations exactly <laughs> exactly exactly and so yeah there's just this fat and like i there's this 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 young lady that writes for vice that a friend of mine danilo was friends with and he asked her why she doesn't he's like oh why don't you celebrate halloween and her answer was i think she was from syria and she said because there's she said basically like in america like you guys are kind of obsessed with that kind of thing she goes i've, I've seen hor horrific things right you know and so i don't care to you know see watch slasher movies and shit if you lived in you know in, a, in essentially in places of political conflict and war you know like oh absolutely but I, I would subject myself to that so yeah, yeah and, i mean when you like yeah i'm privileged to be interested in this stuff when you've never you know when i hear explosions over my house it's uh fireworks at disneyland or it's mm -hmm. fireworks in the next neighborhood mm -hmm. i've never i've never ever ever had to consider bombs conflict like i i that's that's just never i've never had to worry about that and I was in, I was back visiting England a couple years ago and they have, I, I like weird museums and they have the, uh, in Sheffield, they have the National Museum of Emergency Services. There. Nice. <laughs> An adorable museum. It's so great. But they basically have this whole kind of display about World War II and rebuilding the country after World War II. And i don't know what that's like like for yeah. most of us living in the united states we have no idea what it is to live in a war-torn country mm -hmm. we didn't like there was the threat in the cold war and things like that of like uh you know bomb shelters and drills and things like that but we don't you know the last active war on our soil was the civil war mm -hmm. and even the 
the death toll there, it was not bombs. It was not drones. No one's shooting missiles at us. Nobody is sophisticated as it is now. It was not as sophisticated. And, you know, yeah, I can absolutely hear that. And that's one of the things too, I think that people, when I, when I tell them that I study death, dying and grief, they think like I'm like this secret goth girl. Now I love some Mm -hmm. morbid stuff, (laughs) but at the same time, I'm, I'm interested in people's grief rituals. I'm interested in their, their death and burial rituals because in America, we don't really have that. We are like, well, I guess you bury someone or you cremate someone, but you're Mm -hmm. not, you know, we're, unless you belong to maybe like, like the Jewish faith has uh, this period of mourning and sitting Shiva and all of these rituals associated with it. And it gives space for these things. Your average American is just like, there's a funeral. I think it's done. Like, so I'm very, I'm fascinated in those things because it confronted me so much after my dad passed because I wanted a space to talk about those things and there was no space. Mm -mm. Nobody had that kind of no one wanted to talk about it they were just like it was this time or like they wanted to placate and all of those things and so even you know even in wanting to learn about those things i don't i don't want to like you can't there's things you can't unsee like that really comes down to like i don't want to watch people get murdered i don't want to watch crazy violent things and even like as like when i was younger talking about you were talking about the shock value like faces of death i can watch this stuff all day long same with like tv shows and movies that were really violent and now i like i have to watch either through my hands or i have to have a phone around like Mm -hmm. looking at something else because it's too much for me same i don't want to watch people suffer like i don't i don't want to contribute to that does that mean that I'm unaware of things going on in the world? Oh, no. But I'm also like, you know, we are, you know, thinking about what we're talking about with like, you know, violence and, you know, people being harmed in our position of privilege. Like I'm also I also don't feel comfortable sharing images around BIPOC death. Like I don't want to perpetuate that violence. I don't want that to be normalized. Yeah. Like that's that to me is is it's a dangerous line that folks walk yeah and i understand both sides i understand why people want to say like you need to see what's happening but in such a viral community that like where things just get shared and shared and shared and shared and shared and then everybody feels like they want to comment on them and they're not as educated or they don't fully understand what's going on i think oftentimes it does a lot more violence and damage than helping because i think you can still be very informed without perpetuating those images of violence Mm -hmm. but that's me yeah same i mean i feel the same way i had to yeah there's there was it was like the by the way today i don't know if you heard randomly i'm gonna insert this in here the central park karen bird watcher was charges were dropped today her charges were dropped today so that's a big, <laughs> but yeah, it's like you get tired of like, there was a time where I had to like completely separate myself from what was happening in the media. And like, there's, it's like, and then all of a sudden every day somebody would pop up with someone getting, encountering some kind of racial incident. And I was just like, okay, if I want to be sane, I can't, you can't do this. I can't watch, you know, you know, black people getting killed and I can't watch. And, and honestly, like a lot of people, you know, 
getting you know and yeah so I definitely am of the same mind and it would be nice to see that in the thing I think the thing that that really bothers me about you know uh the culture here in LA is that and I was saying this last night is that there is like I feel like the wealthy have co-opted spirituality as well. Oh yeah. You know, and they always have, but in a way now it's like even the people that are still like trying to obtain wealth in manifest wealth, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I feel like they've hijacked it as well. And so being again, like with the prosperity gospel, it's happening. They brought that stuff to new thought and new age. It's like, mm-hmm. I can be rich too. And, and if you're rich adjacent or rich and you're a wealthy healer or reader, then somehow you're, you know, uh, doing it right because you're living in this perfect peace and harmony, you know, can't, I can't tell you how many before pre COVID, like, I can't tell you how many of the uh, readers I know that were going down to doing charitable things. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, I think that's Not the thing, judge, but no, but you know, I, again, I think coming out of the Christian church, right? Like we have seen that we've seen the prosperity gospel in, in a lot of ways and a lot of mm-hmm. kind of ugly ways. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I think I always think about, you know, I think about Jesus flipping the, you know, the tables of the money lenders in the temple. Yeah where he was like, not today. Like, nope. And, you know, I, I can, I, I did a, an, uh, all day intensive Buddhist intensive with Dr. Robert Thurman and Dr. I'm going to say his name wrong. Nidya Sinang, who runs Pure Land Farms up in Topanga. Oh yeah. Yeah. Purely. Yeah. Yes. And this, you know, like I'm asking Robert Thurman, like I ask the nerdiest questions. And so I'm like, I have questions about Buddhism and transhumanism and how you feel the transhumanist. Like I just totally <laughs> got like, and, and just asking these fascinating, cause I'm just, I'm fascinated with it. I want to know, I want to know what they are. And I have a chance to sit in a room with these folks for eight hours and, and mm-hmm. hear what they have to say, which I do that for a lot of other things too. Like I'm that kind of nerd. But this woman, and again, not to judge, but the doctor was, he was mentioning about like the idea of the poisons, right? Too much or too little can be poisonous. And those concepts in, in the Tibetan medicine and things like that. And this woman raised her hand. And again, this is going to sound real judgy, but she was very LA, very plastic surgery, older woman in her spiritual garbs, right? She had her mala beads, she had all these things. <laughs> and the struggle that she brought before to to both doctors was, I just have such a hard time not eating chocolate and not picking out on chocolate. And I'm like, <laughs> what? That's, that's the, okay, okay. And so again, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be jerky, but like that, what? Like that's your, that's the struggle. Okay. So when, you know, when you see these folks that say success has to look like this and in order to be spiritually awake, you have to match this success. 
It does not count take into account that we have created the institutionalized and systemic racism of our country has not created generational wealth for people of color. It just mm -hmm. has, it has not. And mm -hmm. so when somebody can just throw out like, oh, well, you know, like that belonged to my grandparents or that belonged to my parents. Like you're not in this, like people, you're not starting from the same place. Mm -hmm. And so then when you, on top of that, look at, like I, you know, one of the things that I've done a lot around death studies, and I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit right now, but as I've looked at African-American homegoing rituals and the funeral mm -hmm. industry, African-American funeral industry, mm -hmm. because for myself, I'm very, I'm a huge proponent of green burial. Let's go back to the earth. Let's not contaminate with embalming fluids. Let's not put a bunch of crap in the ground that we can't use again. Like let's have wild preserves and Let's go hiking where you're body farm, yeah. body farm, you know, things like yeah. that. Donate your body to science. Like there's a lot of ways mm -hmm. that you can help when we're done with this, because in my, like, I love my body. Thank you for getting me around. But once I leave it, I don't need it anymore. I'm not going to need it. And we're so tied to our bodies. It's hard for us to think about that. It's hard for us not to think about like when people are like, oh, I don't want to be cremated. I was like, yeah, you're not in there. You're, you're oh, not wow. getting burned. It's just your body. It's different, yeah. right? And I love what Katrina Spade is doing up in, in Seattle with uh, body composting, which just opened oh, up yeah. there, which people are losing their mind about in great and negative ways. But again, we we have to think about, we live in most, in, in this side of the country, we live in a lot of urban areas and we only have mm -hmm. so much space, right? So thinking about green burial, thinking about all these things and, and not wanting to have these big traditional funerals. But I was challenged by that when I watched a documentary on PBS about this, he's a black funeral director and undertaker on the East coast. And he talked a lot about the reclaiming of dignity and death for black folks. Mm. And I was like, Oh, and it was a moment where I was like, I'm learning, like I'm learning something here. And so then I started looking at the fact of when you have, when you have an entire group of folks whose ancestral heritage oftentimes is truly impossible to trace. Like there, we have ideas more, but like to say like, what, what were the spiritual practices? What were funeral practices? What were all, what were all these practices? Like we don't know because your ancestors weren't allowed to practice those things. Yeah. They were not allowed. It was beaten out of them. It was, tortured out of them, you know, Jesus was brought like conversion, all of these things, right? There's all of these, these things. So looking at listening to him talk about is a way to reclaim dignity and death that we've not been afforded in life. I was like, Oh, this is something that's really, I need to stop and I, I need to listen and I need to learn about this. So then how, you know, that kind of ties into this, like co-opting of spirituality. This is where I get very nervous when you've got people who are like, oh, these, these ancient African practices. I'm like, mm, don't you do that to people? Like, don't, don't, don't do that to people. Or even with indigenous practices where people are picking and choosing, right? Like, I'm sure you growing up heard the term like cafeteria Christian, right? Pick and choose what you want from the Bible to follow and see how you like it. But then you've also got folks doing that 
with really sacred things and things that honestly like don't belong to them they're not giving back like you said what are they actually giving back to people they're just looking at how they can commodify this spirituality and so they then start this hierarchy of i'm this leader I've got this prosperity gospel, whether it's a new thought, whether it's a new age, mm -hmm. Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Kabbalah, whatever, whatever it is. And then they have people that go, well, I want to be like that because I want all those things. Right. And I mm -hmm. see it a lot as they want the things, not necessarily the actual practice, because yes. true spiritual practice is hard and it's a lot of work. Um it's not fun all the time right and so then they're going like oh see i want to be like them and so then other people come in that are actually being earnest in it and trying to do the work and they're like these things are not happening as much for me or i'm not i'm not rich or i'm not you know a attaining all of this stuff mm -hmm. and then those like the people that are just down from the leader look and go oh well you're just not you're just not doing it enough you're not working hard enough you're, you know, you're lacking in all these areas. So it becomes this feedback of you're lacking, you're lacking, you're lacking. Mm -hmm. And I think also too, that's where we have to be very careful about like, what's that leader look like? Mm. Because if those leaders, not just what do they look like? Are they being transparent? Are they, you know, truly talking about the real struggles they're having? Not, not what I would call struggles for the stage. You know, like I've really been struggling lately with A, B, and C, you know, whatever thing that they put out. Meanwhile, they're having an affair, <laughs> you know, yes. like, or they're, they're yeah. like, they have, you know, are hiring gay escorts because they're so ashamed of their own identity and they can't live that truth. Like those kinds of yeah. things. Right. But on the stage, they're like, I was really, you know, I felt tempted the other day and then I, whatever it is, whatever it is, right. I'm, I'm using the framework of Christianity, but like it happens yeah. in all these spiritual. And we know it and we know that framework very well. So I think mm -hmm. that's a part of it too. And just if anybody's listening, we, and look, uh, we're focusing on uh, a certain group of people right now, but I don't think it, this needs necessarily needs to be said, but I want to say it. We see the same scam run on poor, uh, white people as well. So, oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So it's not just limited. We've seen this, you know, people that are very poor that get drawn into, you know, give me your as much money as you can to get closer to God. Which is sure. Really and and if, you know, desperation is a dangerous thing for people in power because they can exploit it so easily, so mm -hmm. easily. And you know, the easiest analogy, and this is one for, that my friend Burke kind of brought up around a different situation, but I think it applies to this. If you're in hell and somebody says to you, I'm going to get you out of hell. You can either stay in hell or you do this, A, B, and C, whatever it is, and you'll get out of hell. You're getting out of hell. So whether that's give me your money whether that is join this group and change your life, whether like whatever that is, whatever that hell is for you, if people offer you a way to get out and you're that you're that desperate, that's where people start to like twist people. And, you know, it, 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 that commodification of spirituality just makes me really, 
angry because it's just more spaces for people to say, this is not for you. You're not one of us. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't, you know, I can't speak for the great spiritual teachers of, of time, but I feel like they wouldn't have been like, mm, I don't, that's, I wasn't really talking like that. <laughs> like I want, no. I want everybody to come in. And they weren't, I mean, maybe some of them were, you know, affluent, of course, or well taken care of. We've seen that in some cultures, but they weren't like there wasn't this. I don't think there was this huge divide between people, and you know, maybe there was. Um, maybe there was. I don't know. I'd, I'd have to definitely be some research to do on my own. But um, I, which brings me to what's been what what grinds my gears about the narrative of downtown LA being um like this energy cesspool of evil energy and most notably and recently the Cecil Hotel and there being like this you know this force driving drawing people to it you know like it's like a hell mouth I don't know if you ever watch Angel um (laughs) or Buffy or if you watch any of those shows um but it just kind of reminds me of like the idea of yeah about the center you know downtown being like this horrible place and i for me personally and i'll I'll, this first time i share this on the podcast my my father has been homeless my entire life he was in the navy Mm. honorably discharged then went back in and came out dishonorably he went awol was dishonorably discharged and we have tried and tried to get him whether it's i mean god they tried everything like and he wasn't and i mean sometimes he would be great for a little while and he disappeared and this mm-hmm. went on for a long time until my mom remarried so i am when i say this bothers me i want people to understand that there are people that those people have families and not every story mm-hmm. is as cut and dry as they think and when they reinforce this idea of you know malevolent spirits kind of instead of like you know mental illness which which is the case a lot of times it further demonizes Mm -hmm. people who already have that on their backs because of the color of their skin but i just wanted to start off with that because that is a very important distinction you know first of all i just want to say i i know i know that you're i know that this is going out to the larger audience but i appreciate you sharing that because that's a very vulnerable thing to share Mm -hmm especially in a public forum right but i know i know based on the things we've been talking about why you're sharing that right and when Mm -hmm. we look at what's happening with the cecil hotel we have to look at a few different aspects right so for folks if you've been living in a cave uh netflix just released a four-part docuseries on the elisa lamb case and and the Cecil Hotel, but it focuses more on Elisa Lamb, but goes and touches on some of the other topics on of the Cecil Hotel. There's a number of things at work. One, we're talking about Elisa Lamb's case in that docuseries. Not we, I didn't make it. Joe Berlinger did. Good job, Joe. I'm a huge fan of Joe's work for a number of reasons, but starting with the West Memphis Three case. But you've got Elisa Lamb's case and her death. Then you've got the the fact that the Cecil Hotel is in the heart of downtown LA, in and amongst Skid Row, right? Which is is 
much larger, I think, when people see that documentary and they talk about truly how large Skid Row is, I think people are blown away. Like, oh, it's not just one street. It's like, no, this goes for a really long time. And the fact that Skid Row is really been used by the city of Los Angeles to contain a certain demographic of folks. Mm -hmm. um, you've got, and within Skid Row, you've got issues around homelessness. You have issues around mental health. You have issues of race. You have issues of poverty, class, socioeconomic, like all, there's so many things, so many levels to just Skid Row as it is. And then on top of that, you have got the mental health aspect, which is is also it, this also factors into not only the homeless population, but you're dealing with in in this case it factors in. I don't want to spoil things for folks, but it's important mm -hmm. to uh, it's important to touch on. The thing that I have probably the the toughest, not the toughest, but it's. When people talk about the homeless, that's exactly how they talk about them, the homeless. They're this label of uh, a group that oftentimes it's not like they're either referring to them usually as people that are problems to them or uh, people that they know they're a problem so they're helping them. Like, oh, I want to feed the homeless or I'm out here working with the homeless. Now, granted, mm -hmm. I know some people that do really good work with the homeless populations and housing insecure folks. But I think also too, we forget that homelessness looks very different. Homelessness is not just, I am living on the streets. It is people who live in their cars who don't have a regular place to stay. Like housing insecurity and homelessness looks a lot of different ways. People need to understand that first off. Um, working with students, I work with homeless students, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, like they're just like, I'm living in, I've talked with students who are living in their car, students who just don't have a place to land because of family dynamics, issues around gender and sexuality. Like there's so many, there's so many reasons, right? But people want to look and go, well, if you're homeless, then you must be an addict. You must have mental illness. You must have like mm -hmm. all of these things. And to your point, because it is your life, people have families. People are somebody's dad, son, brother, daughter, sister, all of these things. And it is, you know, you can't just oftentimes take someone off the street and like, oh, I gave you an apartment and here's clothes and then it's all going to be better because if there is mental illness at the heart of that, there's only so much those of us on the outside who are not suffering in the same way they are can do. You can't, you know, time and time again, you hear stories of like they were doing so well and then I didn't know they were not taking their medicine mm -hmm. or they were doing so well and then something like... I try not to use the word triggering because mm -hmm. I work with veterans and I don't like to use things around guns or war. Yeah. So I'll use the word activating, mm -hmm. but there are things that activate folks and they are sent off. Right. And I've seen it with folks that I've worked with who are like, not just on the homeless aspect, but also folks after they've been incarcerated, formerly incarcerated people too. Right. There are these, these different things that can work. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, so many like part, you know, so many of the folks and especially the, the true crime people, and I get it because I get sucked into true crime cases as well. 
forget that like people still live in downtown LA, not just on Skid Row, but people live in downtown LA. People work down there, mm -hmm. right? Like you mm -hmm. travel in it. I used to work in downtown LA all the time in one of my previous jobs. Mm -hmm. So it it's not just this little bubble that people can look. I mean, people love to look at it this way, but can look at it as just like this. Oh, that's, that's Skid Row. Like that's, those people over there no this this is it's such a, it's a such a larger thing i feel like i'm not being very articulate about this point no, right no, 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 no. you're explaining it perfectly yeah but you you've got you know so you you have that aspect and you have the cecil hotel that used to be this amazing gorgeous space of you know this opulent hotel back in its heyday I mean, you see the pictures of that lobby and as an architecture mm -hmm. nerd, I'm like, that lobby is beautiful. That's <laughs> a beautiful mm -hmm. lobby. But as we've seen, right, when you take money out of spaces and put them into privatized communities, when you consider things like white flight, when you consider mm -hmm. the fact that downtown LA, I mean, it's getting kind of better. But downtown LA for many years has like been a grocery and a food wasteland. Like you couldn't mm -hmm. go get, you couldn't go grocery shopping in downtown LA. Like I think there's like Whole Foods down there now and like Target down there now, but that's now. And you regulate, right? We can contain these folks. We know where these people are at. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a scholar that I love named George Lipsitz. And George Lipsitz talks about the idea of there's a difference between people with problems and people as problems, right? Mm. And when we are talking about folks that are homeless, those are people with problems. The problem is, is culture and yeah. society say that they are a problem. I don't want you in my, you know, I don't want you in my town. I don't want you in my yard. I don't want you in these spaces, right? Living in Orange County, mm -hmm. right by Angel Stadium, there was a huge homeless encampment. Huge. Because folks had no place else to go. And they came in and they drove them out. And so they got spread out to different spaces around Orange County, LA, bus to other places, right? And, you know, I have homeless folks in my area. And the mayor was like, we need to stop talking about these folks as a problem because they're still people, right? They're still people. Yeah. And so when you have these true crime folks who are talking about, oh, well, it's just this evil energy that's happening and you can see all this. Mm. You're not one. You're. I feel like that oftentimes totally ignores the socioeconomic and racial issues that are at the heart of these things. Mm -hmm. You are also like, it, it's, it's the same. It's like the same kind of like, it grinds my gears in the same way. When I hear uh, people on shows like ancient aliens talk about how there's no way the Egyptians could have built the pyramid. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, it has to be aliens. Mm -hmm. It's like, one, um, you can do a lot when you enslave people. You can get a lot yeah. done you when you enslave people. Yeah. Welcome to the United States. And have a whip where you're right? telling them to work harder. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. 
that's one aspect that people just don't want to seem to acknowledge at all. Like, oh, when you enslave people, you can get lots of things done because you you have you have free labor. The United States was born on free labor and the North wasn't free from the desire for that either. So when people want to romanticize, like, but the North, I'm like, oh, the North had its North was uh, in on a lot of things, too, friends like it. it it's not yeah. that cut and dry. Right. And when you have like the United States, you have an institution that was based on the condition of the mother. Like there are all these <laughs> there. It's very layered. Yeah. But think about ancient aliens. Sorry, going back to ancient aliens, like on top of that. So you have enslavement on one side and enslaved folks. And then you have like what else are you doing in ancient Egypt? Like you're not, we don't have TV. We're not distracted by, you know, leisure in these other ways. Like folks can't really focus, like can't really wrap their heads around that. Like, well, no, it wouldn't be as easy to build those necessarily today because you you're distracted by so much other stuff. Like, mm -hmm. like I can barely get, you know, When's the last time you watched a total TV show without picking up your phone? You know what I'm saying? Like, we're so distracted. Exactly. But again, when you enslave people, that's really the heart of those things. And the fact, but again, it's, it's enslavement. And then also assuming that there's no way people of color could truly have this, the ability to do this, right? And then when you look at things like the Cecil and say, oh, it's just this place of evil energy and it's like trapped all these people in. One, you're taking away the humanity of the folks that live on Skid Row. Because the reality is they're humans. They're human beings. And whatever their challenges are, don't take away their humanity. And then you erase all the other issues when you just say, oh... It's just this evil space. And see, they're just like, they can't escape their situation because they're just sucked into this evil space. I want to punch you out when you say things like that, because that's, mm -hmm. that's such a simplistic, unchecked privilege view of what is truly going on in downtown LA, Cecil or not. It's like, and the thing that I think cracks me up is like, people are like, oh, the Cecil, so many bad things have happened here. I was like, yeah, talk to anyone who's lived in or run or worked at a hotel or a motel in an impoverished area where there's criminal activity. Hmm. Like the Cecil, Act, Cecil Hotel is not this standalone hotel. Like, oh, this is the only That's hotel. That's a great point. <laughs> such a like, great point. Talk, talk there's about some motels you avoid, yes. Yeah, right? You know there's places where you're like, not at night, not stopping there, right? Mm -mm. And like the Cecil Hotel on the side of it was like weekly and hourly rates. That's not where you go to like we honeymooned here. Like that's some things are going down there. And but again, that is any place in the country where it's a shady hotel or motel. And so the fact that like they work to build up this lore around like, oh, the Cecil, so many people have died here. Well, yeah, if you can get a cheap room and you're an addict, people are going to die. People are going yeah. to die. If you can get a cheap room and you're involved in criminal activity, mm -hmm. like things are not going to turn out well. And that's not me saying that 
like that by no means is me saying like well that's what you get like that's not it but it's like that area with those issues that are happening like i it's like people act like this was like still this super fancy fancy hotel that crap is happening at and they're like i don't understand how do you not understand like the the one guy in the documentary is like you didn't go up to certain floors at night because you knew you would get robbed or hurt yeah acting like it's the beverly hilton or something right that's the thing like i can understand if they were like it was a small town where there was no crime right that's not what's going on there's so many things going on and again desperation like we see it with folks around this is a weird tangent but like i work with i work with foster youth former foster youth and the original foster youth system was built for folks to easily take children of color away from their parents just the reality of it and many times the cases of neglect that are seen and this is not every case with foster youth by any means but the cases of neglect we see it's because parents or parent has to be out working and trying to make ends meet so they can't be there with the child so if they had the ability to make money they would be able to not have to be away from their child and so poverty lack of me i mean we're in a we're in a country right now where we're fighting to try and get the minimum wage to 15 dollars an hour and people are still like they don't they they right again othering our business will shut down it's like (laughs) oh look at what kroger just did in long beach shutting down three grocery stores for hazard pay because of covid hazard pay kroger said oh we can't pay that so they shut they would rather shut their businesses down than actually pay Pay people people. yeah in a space and again long beach also has had some grocery wasteland issues yep a lot of people color in long beach so i just sit there and go like it it gets me so angry but it's like people look at it this really simplistic they they look at these really simplistic things and i just don't (laughs) like it i don't understand how people are surprised when people are desperate People are not seen, they're not heard, they're not cared about, they're othered, they're treated as like this community, like, oh, like we'll show up and we'll help you at certain times of the year. Or we'll show up, you know, so I can say I felt good about myself because I did charitable work. And those are usually the people that drive me nuts because those are the usually the people that want to tell you about all the charitable work that they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like... I know some folks that work boots on the ground in Skid Row. Talk to them about their stories because it's very different. It's very different. And it's it has its own set of challenges. And I, ha- I know folks that work with, that do good work with homeless populations. And it, it's not tokenism and it's not those things. So, you know, one of the things I thought about in the documentary is, because they, sh- they showed a lot of homeless folks in that documentary. They recorded them, you know, and I'm just like, did you, did they sign releases? Yeah. Did you compensate them? Give them something, a little change, give- Visa gift cards and some money on it, something. Something. Because I bet everyone else that got interviewed for that documentary got something. Yeah. Something. 
And, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing I feel about when you see folks who are, you know, build their whole photography career around like these pictures of the homeless. And you're like, mm -hmm. what are you doing for those folks? Mm -hmm. Right. So that aspect and this, and, and to sit and be able to, you know, say, oh, it's because of these. We don't know. We don't know all those people's stories. There's so many folks down there. We don't know their stories. But we can work to not take their humanity away, right? We can work to not just go like, oh, it's this evil place. And when you tie in mental illness, that ties in both to the Elisa Lamb case and to many folks on Skid Row. Not all folks, but many folks on Skid Row. I mean, we live in a country, I just posted about it the other day, we live in a country that has such a stigma around mental illness. Yeah. Such a stigma around mental illness. And, you know, you you think about, you know, when, when we talk about like, oh, well, people should just get help. Again, that is where people don't factor in cultural narratives around mental health. Like I've worked with students and folks in the past who's, family is like we don't do yeah, that exactly yeah we don't do that i've known people in the church world who were like well you just need to pray more or god is going to heal you mm -hmm. or you got the spirit of an evil thing the same thing it's the same you're doing bringing the same shit into new age sorry <laughs> but it's the no, same it's, dogmatic weird thing it's yeah. true and so people are you know and and this is where the the commodification of spirituality gets to me extra dangerous, right? Because I think it, <laughs> as an adult, as I went into therapy, right? Cause I'm, I am, I am pro therapy game. I don't, I, there's no, to quote my friend Ryan Singer, there ain't no shame in my therapy game, yeah. but I think back to, and again, this is because this is the framework I come out of. I think back to the pastors that I had that I, like I went and sought counsel from none of them were licensed therapists. They were mm -hmm. just like, Oh, you go talk to your pastor about these things. One, one, by the way, is now a licensed therapist, <laughs> but, but mm -hmm. the, but that person's also not in ministry anymore. The other ones, not therapy, like not licensed therapists. And so when you have folks that are like, well, you come to me for counsel or you read these, you know, spiritual things or just go to this scripture. And I don't just mean Christian scripture because there's scriptures across all of the teachings and mental health is not really addressed. Yeah. That's when we lose people. Yeah. Because they're dismissed. Mm -hmm. Right. I was in a, I was in a training last week and it was about suicide awareness. And the doctor who was presenting said, you know, the three things it really boils down to for a lot of folks is feeling like they're unlovable. Uh, the feelings they have are unbearable and the problems they have are unsolvable. Mm -hmm. And when we, you know, that's, those are like three simple but complex things, right? Because there's a lot of layers there. And so when you, when someone says, I'm really struggling with this and it's like, oh, you have a demon or, oh, you shouldn't have looked at porn or, mm -hmm. oh, if you had stopped listening. Like, I think about all the things that we yeah. were told 
would lead us down bad paths, right? Secular mm-hmm. music or, yeah. <laughs> you know, rated R movies or whatever, right? But when it's dismissed like that, it's like, I, I've tried all those things and it still feels unbearable. These things still mm-hmm. feel unsolvable. Or the fact that you won't actually give me the time to help me makes me feel unlovable, right? And to then just chalk up everything that's going on with, again, a lot of the population in Skid Row. And I'm not an expert on Skid Row, but I know Mm -hmm. it's a complex thing. Mm -hmm. I know homelessness. Like I, I was homeless growing up. We lost our house a couple times. We did not have places to live. We were fortunate that there were friends or family members we could stay with. But, you know, as a kid, what could I do about it? I couldn't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. And That's so there was strain on your parents and all the other stuff, you know, I'm sure right. they didn't make your parents feel great that they, you know, it, you know, it looks, it looks a lot of, it looks a lot of ways. Yeah. And again, so when people just want to go, Oh, it's, Oh, it's just evil. It's bad mm-hmm. spirits. It's, it's something about mm-hmm. that place. I would never live down there. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I, I love, that's my favorite line. I would never live down there. It's so dark. And to me, I'm just thinking in my head, it's like, do you, how, you live in Santa Monica, you live in Hollywood. Do you know how many people, how many, and I'm going to say this is going to, not to trick, trigger warning, I'm about to say something, guys. Do you know how many young women have been abused in the hotels in Hollywood, in some of those hotels, mm. or how over the past century even in got Hollywood's golden era, how many, you know, women were mistreated children. I know there's mention of the black Dahlia was at the Cecil, you know, but mm-hmm. the doctor who killed her was a famous Hollywood doctor. Wasn't he that performed abortions yeah. and he was in with the cops and that's why they covered it up or something yeah. like that. Something to that extent, or he moved to the Philippines and continued to, you know, privilege. So to me, when you say I would, ne- and you know, granted, if something makes you feel I know disclaimer that everybody can't handle big the big the city because it's very downtown feels very much like a New York right. I dig it. I feel at home. You know, granted, I know there's issues of safety. My bus stop is right by the Cecil when I was going to work before quarantine. I get Chinese food on the corner there, Tom. All the time, there were homeless people trying to get a plate. Sometimes I would buy them a plate. You know, I mm-hmm. felt, but I felt, I feel a sense of camaraderie with the people that are treated the least, you know, yeah. like the least of us. And I don't under, and I feel like that being a part of this community, the occultist, the witches, the paranormal, you know, enthusiast, enthusiast is being a part of community that is kind of essential to freaks and the weirdos and the dregs of society. So when people separate the two, that's what's baffling to me because it's like, you are one bounced rent check away. How many people, how many of those people came here with dreams just like you did on mm-hmm. a bus? Whether it was, they were completely, you know, not, not mentally ill that came down, came, moved to LA with dreams just like you did and ran into the wrong person or ran into a grifter or they were taken advantage of or, you know. So I, I just don't understand the idea that I could never live down there. And it was like, you know what? I don't necessarily feel safe in Beverly Hills either. There was a huge Trump rally in Beverly Hills. There wasn't one. There was, it wasn't as big as the one downtown. I'll tell you that. 
Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just don't know. I, I, I don't understand. You know, again, I don't understand the logic there because the city does have a, the city is known a notorious, notorious for its haunted, you know, history, you know, and, you know, for some reason, downtown gets a worse rap than Mulholland. Or, well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> because, because, well, and one of the, th you know, I think it's really interesting. I love downtown LA as well. Again, I worked for many years down there. Uh, the downtown, when I hit that part of the 101 where I can see the whole downtown LA skyline, like that really, I love that. Like, that I feel like. rock, right? Huh? Those real punk rock. I just wanted to put. Yeah, up. it's just like, I just go like, oh, down, like there's downtown. I've been to great shows in downtown LA. I've eaten great food in downtown. I've had great experiences in downtown LA. And, you know, this this idea of um downtown that we have is very different than the rest of the country because new york's you know downtown san francisco's downtown after a certain you know after the working day is done it turns into nightlife right mm -hmm. like la is getting there downtown la is getting there but that has only been in the past decade or so because a lot of downtown LA for a long time was just like five o'clock things shut down and then people left right yeah. it is not the traditional downtown of a lot of other places, places yeah you know and so I think people have a weird thing with that and when people say oh I could never live down there well yeah that's your unchecked privilege once again because <laughs> yeah we're all one rent check bank like whatever it is because one when i worked in downtowns because i worked in the jewelry industry okay. so i was in and out of dealers and handshake deal that was a, that's a whole that weird sounds world like a fun story though <laughs> yeah you know and so and the jewelers i worked for part of their business was you know creating jewelry and selling jewelry and the other half of their business was uh pawning on jewelry <laughs> And you watched people who were like riding high for a long time, like when the real estate bubble hit and burst in 2008, they had bought all this stuff, all these, you know, watches and rings and upgraded diamonds, all this. And then they're back in pawning it only like a year later. Yeah. So we're all, we're all right there. We could all end up homeless and you, and you don't necessarily know how or why and so when people sit there and go like i could never live down there i'm like enjoy your privilege right now enjoy your rent controlled area you're living in or enjoy whatever space that you keep landing that you're not having to think about i just need a place and like say like all of all of these other things like that's to me that's just unchecked privilege yeah enjoy la la land on the west yeah. side where everything's enjoy not seeing the real and i think again i hate to bring up new york again but i feel like that's a difference right it's because new yorkers are constantly the rich and the poor everybody's so close together that they're, they're confronted by the existence of each other right yeah so i think here it's just and not to and the other thing is the amount of money that doesn't get put in the right areas absolutely yeah and what we i mean we've been talking about some of the main issues with uh, framing the homeless population this way as a the supernatural force, like the, this 
quote unquote invisible invisible hand guiding uh people towards you know uh mischief and crime and homelessness or whatever but i i want to talk about very gently talk about uh, Lisa lamb very gently in that footage and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you and i had the same conclusion and i think the thing is because you and i have both lived a lot yeah we can look in that and say and been around a lot of mental illness mm-hmm. my own everybody else's and we immediately thought mm, this girl is having this young lady's having a some kind of a breakdown or some kind of episode mm-hmm. not a doctor but that's what it looked like to me even though it was like spooky or whatever it just to me it didn't seem like some kind of but I think that's privileged because people aren't confronted again, aren't confronted with, with seeing like things like this. Right. Right. And I think, you know, media portrays mental illness in very specific ways and we're very mm-hmm. influenced by media. Right. And so mental illness in media looks like people not getting out of bed. Is that part Mm -hmm. of folks with depression, anxiety, and bipolar? Yeah, that can be, for sure. Bradley Cooper. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Silver Lining. Yeah, like that. Right. Silver Lining's playbook, right? Or people see things like uh, a beautiful mind Mm -hmm. and schizophrenia in this, like, ingenious way, right? Or you've got, you know, I've been... (laughs) I've been binging, talk about junk food TV. We've been binging the OC (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, watching Marissa go through her like addiction issues and Mm -hmm. her, 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 you know, I'm just full of rage and upset. And then there are other times I'm just like, you're kind of a a bitch. Like, I just don't, like, I can't (laughs) deal with it. But again, they're portrayed in these really specific ways and in a, in a way connecting this into my own life, like I dealt, I was a childhood epileptic and the only time I ever saw epilepsy on TV was a very special episode of a different strokes <laughs> where their housekeeper has a seizure and then they talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that's the only place for myself. Uh, I ever saw epilepsy ever documented. I had no idea about it. And so it was like it wasn't something i saw on television and so i think when it comes like thinking about mental illness like we only see mental illness portrayed in these you know very special episodes or it's this story arc or it's these things but if you struggle with mental health issues and if you know people that have mental health issues and you are in close contact you are in intentional relationship with them and you have seen those breaks those Mm -hmm. moments i you to me i'm like oh like like we were talking about it when we're watching the documentary it's like oh that's she's having a psychotic break Mm -hmm. and also not also not a doctor not a licensed therapist but it's because i've i've seen it before i've seen it happen before and it's scary and and it's very it's very scary and part of why that footage looks so creepy and spooky to people is because it's not quote unquote normal behavior it's not yeah. 
behavior that your everyday person is going to, you know, the majority of folks are not going to experience either going through that or seeing somebody go through that. When folks were having a really hard time, I'm just going to put spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched the docuseries, just maybe pause and come back to us after you watch it. So when you had some of those folks on the true crime end not accepting that she was having a psychotic break, and they seemed to come around, but for the most part, they were really fighting it. It's like, oh, you, you, this, this is part of the problem. This is part of the stigma because you'd rather it be this crazy ass weird story where there's got to be some corrupt, like the fact, like, I just think about conspiracy theories and when people get really into conspiracy theories, because, uh, John Tenney, who's an incredible paranormal and occult researcher, speaker, and investigator, always will talk about the infrastructure of conspiracy theories. And, you know, when they were like, it's got to be the people at the Cecil Hotel working with the police because Elisa knew something about tuberculosis testing. And I'm just like, what? What? How does that sound so much more rational? and logical than this person had a psychotic break. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand that. But I also like once they kind of started talking more about her challenges with mental health, I also understood why her parents didn't speak to the media. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like they, I, and I can't speak for them, but I feel like Oh, maybe they felt like if they told people their daughter had mental health issues, people wouldn't look for her. Mm. Mm. Like maybe they thought like, oh, well, she's probably just like, you know, oh, she's off her meds, right? You hear people throw that kind of around. Mm -hmm. Oh, what are you off your meds? Yeah. And so I, I don't I don't know if that was part of their decision. I don't, but it made me wonder. Mm -hmm. And so you know, when people would rather go towards conspiracy, rather go towards, oh, it has to be paranormal. It has to be an evil force possessed her or whatever. Like, it's just, it breaks my heart because she, it seemed like she was getting help. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they trusted, they wanted her to be able to go on this trip and be normal and okay and explore and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreak. Like, that's heartbreaking. My husband, one of his friends, had adult onset schizophrenia mm -hmm. and took her life. It became a sensationalized headline with a title, like her, her mm -hmm. being got a name because of the way that she took her life in the way that she was found and that's devastating it's yeah. that's somebody's friend daughter sister right and and it's also very weird to me when these folks like i understand the heart of people saying like we feel like we knew her reading through elisa lamb's like tumblr posts and all these things and, you know, we live for her and all these things that they're saying, which I believe that they're earnest in those things. Like, I don't want to judge that. But mm -hmm. 
I also wonder like how much attention are you paying to the friends around you that are struggling? Yes. How much are you like, I, I think about COVID, easily. like how much, Yeah. how much are you checking in on the people that you say that you care about or you can't wait to hang out with again? Yeah. Cause we're losing people in this pandemic all the time. Yeah. And that's not talked about because it's a lot when you hear and about that's it. not talked about. Right. Mm -mm. You hear about it, but it's not talked about. And, you know, one of the things that I, I talk with people a lot about in this space as people are feeling overwhelmed, especially with my students, because everyone then like throws the pandemic out as this overarching, like, oh, it's the like, well, the pandemic's happening. And I'm like, sure. The so there's the pandemic. So we've been in lockdown almost a year. And then we had George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmed Aubrey in a very short amount of time over summer. And we watched that unrest happen. We watched mm -hmm. uh, people want to start a race war in our country because people were fighting for equity and justice. Then we had this really fucking weird election. Yeah. Pardon my language. And then as we were trying to certify the election, like people were trying to overthrow our government. And then mm -hmm. we watched the very people we were asking be brought to justice, be let off. And then the pandemic yeah. still happening. People are getting sick. People are, I mean, there's all of like, there's all of these things that have been happening. And that's not even all the things I'm naming. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, when people go like, oh, it's the pandemic. I'm like, it's so much more than the pandemic. It's so much more has been happening. And so then I say like, again, who who are you checking in on? You're spending so much time focused in on this case or these people. What about your friend that told you they were having a rough time? Or they maybe posted something on Instagram mm -hmm. that would make you question. Like, yeah. hey, are you okay? Because I'll tell you, that can change so much for people. Is someone just saying, you okay? Can I do anything for mm -hmm. you? But I think people want to, yeah. I think, you know, I see this in grief too. People want to show up and say like, oh, I was, I mean, I was there for them. Hmm. But they weren't. We, we are so... <sighs> You know, it's ironic that we're like, I'm talking about this on a podcast, but we're so enwrapped with the way that we consume our media and portray ourselves in media. We forgot to, we forget to reach out to check in to the people that are behind all the media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the paranormal and, and even investigators, and this is a conversation that's been coming up a lot, we don't want to use the paranormal as an excuse not to get help. If you need help, let's find ways to get you help. Whether that's yeah. sliding scale therapy, free therapy, an app, group therapy, a recovery group, 12 step support group, whatever it is, whatever it is, mm -hmm. let's try and find help for you or let me connect mm -hmm. you to the resources. Mm -hmm. And, but folks, but that, that stuff isn't like finding a therapist is hard. Yeah, <laughs> finding one that you like, finding somebody that's really yeah. empathetic. You think yes. finding a regular family doctor is hard. Try finding the right therapist. Whoa. It takes people years sometimes yes. to find the right person. Years. Yeah. 
And so I could totally see where, like, uh, if I just put these crystals in my pants and, you know, mm-hmm. light the right candles, I want this to go away. I get that. I totally get wanting that because therapy is mm-hmm. hard. It's uncomfortable. That growth is hard and uncomfortable. But any growth is hard and uncomfortable, right? Yes. So when you look at that mental health aspect and we're not talking about it, I mean, I can remember the first time I told one of my like oldest friends that I was starting to go to therapy. And I think it would have been an easier conversation if I had told her I had cancer. Because mm. it was just not something we talked about. Mm-hmm. Wow. It was not something. My dad, I mean, bless him, love him. But he was just like, oh, why do you need to go to therapy? He didn't get it. But he was also an older generation that didn't talk about their feelings. Yeah, they were like, I just want to survive. <laughs> and if I have food on the table, mm-hmm. got a warm roof over my head. Their mentality was like strictly, strictly, you know, and a lot of times strictly survival and not quality. And I think our generation, people our age are starting to see that it is quality over quality of life matters as well, just as much as working hard yeah. and having things and having that roof, enjoying yourself and enjoying your time on this planet. Yeah, I... This is such a, this has been like a powerful conversation and I'm glad that we touched on her a little bit because I do feel like even in, because this city, LA does have a, such a history with, it has like, you know, it, the city has a, has a a spooky history and has a paranormal, a paranormal Mm -hmm. heritage that is and I keep saying this, that is, it is more than any other city that I've, you know, I mean, next to what, what, like New Orleans, like if on the, if it was a top five list, if we can make a list right now, New Orleans is probably what Salem, New Orleans, LA would probably be in the top five easily. Top two. Sure. <laughs> Cause the, yeah. the town, so. the town is known for chewing you up and spitting you out. Yeah. And and what we're trying you know. to say, guys, that it's not always evil doing that. It's sometimes just the the nature of uh, my my cousin Alex told me when I first moved here. She said that this is a place where being a bad person can really benefit you, like being a total hustler, like a real hustler. Getting over on people will benefit you. She's like that, and she oh, was yeah. like, and that's not necessarily here or there. It's just the way the city is. Well, I, you know, and I don't, I don't know if you've had your, this experience since living here, but I'm sure you have, because I feel like it's like day one of LA is, you know, the, the first question people ask is, what do you do? Because Mm -hmm. what they're really asking is what can you do for me? For me? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I, you know, this is, I love, I love LA. I love downtown LA. I miss being in LA. I miss going to events and shows and concerts and underground stuff and hardcore punk shows. I miss all of that. All of that. But, and I participate in the industry, (laughs) right? So that, you know, and and there are great people within the industry. And the people that I found in the industry, and I mean the industry, like the entertainment industry, are great people. And I, I continue to engage with those people. And then there are other people where I'm like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it and the homeless now and, and, you know, these people with these tragic stories are 
again, like just a part of the Hollywood casualty machine, I feel like. And I, with her, you know, I hope she's at peace. And, and also, you know, disclaimer, we're also not saying that, you know, there isn't the hotel isn't haunted or anything like that, but it's no more haunted than anywhere else in this town. So I'm glad right. we talked about it. I think just as we're thinking about Elisa and the population down there and the, the residents and the inhabitants that still live down there is, you know, if, if folks are going to go and want to check out the Cecil and want to check out that area, I get it. I totally get it. As a paranormal investigator, I, I extra get it, but also be aware. I just want to remind people to be aware of the humanity and the dignity of the folks down there. Mm, because there's, you know, we've already seen part of the fallout from when her case came to be and all these people going down there and like, oh, I'm going to go to the hotel and all these things. But like, we're going to see that happen again because people can. So don't, you know, don't further the othering. Don't further the oppression. If you want to help, find real ways to help down there. Right. And yeah, don't add to the further uh, stigma. I was also going to say it's really yeah. important too, and you should so you because you are a seasoned. I feel like you're an uh, OG <laughs> uh, paranormal uh, investigator. I feel like you should kind of touch on a little bit on how to enter these spaces with respect mm. and look into these things with respect, and like what's what's a method that you use to when you're you know it kind of interested in these kind of things like what is what's a methodology that you can think of that can best serve people that are interested in this stuff that's a that's a really great question one bless you for thinking i'm og there's so many people with so much more experience than i i have to say that because i don't want to be the person's like yes i am um uh one i think that i think that folks number one need to be better historians that is not to say I expect you to learn about every single aspect of a space before you enter it, but it is important to know the history of a place, not just the paranormal history of a place. Mm -hmm. Because when we learn about history, right, this is part of why I like, I love history. And a lot of folks go like, oh, well, I don't, I don't really like history. And a lot of the, a lot of the times people don't like history because they can't find themselves in it. They don't see themselves mm -hmm. in it. They don't see themselves. They don't see the connection they have to history. They don't see their families. Mm -hmm. They don't see themselves as represented, right? This is why ethnic studies in our schools is so important because uh, history is not just a bunch of old white dudes winning wars and building statues. There are other people involved in that history. There are women. Like the fact that history has been subdivided into like women's history and black history and Asian, like it's because of this power dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. This is why these things are important to know. So one, learn about the history of the place and, and give yourself some context for what's happening in that time. Right. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying you've got to learn every date in history. I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think folks are, are, have the time to do that, but I think it's important to know some really key dates in history, mm. the civil war being one of them, because yeah. it will tell you a lot. If you understand when the civil war happened, 1861 to 1865, you can really understand what is going on in the country on either side of that. Mm -hmm. So those things. Major civil rights events, if people can understand when those things happened, right? 
they will have a, a, an idea of the context of what's going on. So that's number one. Uh, number two, please, I, I refer to it as brost hunting. It's my, <laughs> it's the term, which is just this aggressive testosterone filled kind of like, show yourself ghost. Like, I don't, mm, I don't, I don't think about that. And one of the things that I uh, think about and is what are the social norms at the time? Like, would a woman be in a room alone with a man that's not her husband? Would somebody, you know, would children talk to men at that time versus talking to women? Like, you have to have a better understanding of the cultural and social norms of the area you're in and what was happening at that time, if you have a certain kind of time period in mind. So I think those are some very good kind of guideposts to start with. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think is really important is don't assume religious affiliation because you you don't always know. And especially when it comes to like artifacts or haunted objects, I think people really want to place them in this like kind of, you know, Christian box, this kind of Judeo-Christian like well, if it's not responding to this, it must, you know, must uh -huh. be evil. You know, people love to, people love demons. People are all about demons, demons, uh -huh. demons, demons, right? But really, it's like Greg and Dana Newkirk have a really good example of this in their collection, which is Billy the Idol. His name is Billy because he's an idol, which I love them for that. <laughs> but Billy is an African statue that when they were doing investigations around him, once they acquired him, was like screaming for a really long time. Like they were, he was, he was not in a good space. And a lot of people would have thrown like a salt ring around that and said, this is evil. And then uh -huh. kind of confined it to that. But Greg and Dana did great research, found out truly like the provenance of this statue. And once they were able to understand the cultural context and the history behind this had totally different interactions with Billy. Oh, it's fascinating fascinating so i i recommend anyone check out uh billy the idol he's like one of their most known folks really um mm -hmm. it's 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 a, it's such a like it was a story the first time i heard it i was like what and i i i will revisit that story anytime because i think it's it's a really fascinating entity and object that they have in their collection but it is also such a great lesson and why it is really important to understand different cultures and not oh. just view it from a certain lens. So that is something that I think about a lot. And, you know, introduce yourself into a place. Like, don't just go in. Like, you wouldn't, I wouldn't walk into your house and go right to the fridge. Like, I would come in, oh, nice to see your home. Thank uh -huh. you for letting me be here. Like, I would extend you these courtesies. And I think it's important to extend those courtesies as well, because it's not your space. And especially if you're trying to investigate something that they think it's still their space. Uh -huh. So just be polite. Don't be a jerk. Don't be overly aggressive. Understand some history. Understand some context. I think it's really important for folks to not, to be really choosy about where they investigate and why they're investigating mm -hmm. right and I, and I, I think the thing that comes to my brain immediately is things like plantations mm -hmm. and anything that deals with you know in, in enslavement oppression 
Because again, around dark tourism, a lot of times we hear like, oh, you know, she was, she was one of, and usually these are when folks are not using the term enslaved, they're usually still using slaves, which Mm -hmm. enslavement is a condition. It's not who the person was. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but usually you're hearing those folks say like, oh, you know, this slave was his mistress. And that's like that. She wasn't a mistress. She didn't have a choice in this. Exactly. They don't, they think these people were just like, were working to themselves to the bone and not able to leave. That's not all that it was. This was genocidal rape, separating families, breeding. I mean, you know, and people are getting met. I mean, pit bulls probably had a better, you know, <laughs> a better existence than most, you know, uh, most uh, dis- uh, people that were going through chattel slavery. Right. And, and you've got, you know, you've got people that really still want to, it sounds so gross to say, but it's true. They want to romanticize the, you know, slavery and the, you know, the peculiar institution. Because there's an opulence with the South, you know, I get it. Sure. I grew up in, you know, South. I mean, there's, there's an opulence to it. Uh, a time of gentlemen and you know gentlewomen gentlemen gone with the wind we got it you know but you know mammy and you know what's her name probably if it were a real story they probably wouldn't have had much to say they probably would have been seen and not heard you know mm-hmm. so i think people forget that they, they have this again hollywood with its you know back then i guess you know with its earlier except with roots and stuff but i mean like even with those movies they're still there's nothing I have ne- I've yet to see something that's like truly close to, close to what those people experienced and and when I when who was it there was somebody that brought this up recently and they were like well the, you know I think my friend was like I think people really like the architecture and I said Amy would you to me that's like I, I I was trying to come up with a good comparison I don't like to use the Nazi comparison or like Auschwitz like would you get married but it's kind of like it was a genocide and it was like a horror horrific people the, the same things that were done to those people are some of the same things that have been done to, to other groups of people in similar predicaments right and that's what i'll say and and to not understand the amount of trauma and i think that we americans have a habit of like not really confronting that mm-hmm. in the some way some other countries have had to confront that well, because people people don't consider plantations like memorial sites. Yeah, exactly. There they, you go. they consider them historic sites, but they don't consider them memorial sites. Like, you know, it like when you were talking, it's almost like you wouldn't necessarily go to you wouldn't go have your wedding where at nine eleven at exactly. the you know where the twin towers were. You wouldn't That's go to Auschwitz say. and be mm-hmm. like, let's throw a party. Yes, and so. But this whole kind of romanticizing and um, like this reimagining of the South, right? Like you're mm-hmm. saying opulence. But again, that ties back into what we're talking earlier about spirituality and people wanting to look a certain way and appear a certain way. Yes. And like architecture is great. Sure. Enjoy the beautiful architecture. But if you are true, like you are truly contributing to the problem. If you're like, oh, a plantation is a great place for me to get married. 
to throw a party for these things. And there are some historic plantations, from what I understand, that are doing a good job of explaining the true history. The true history, yes. Yeah. Real history of what's going on. But when you are coming into a space and using people's tragedy for fodder Uh to make money, mm, Uh mm -mm. and then, then, (laughs) you know, even come on, like you also hear a lot of, and and this is where thing like you're talking about uh, Nolans a little while ago. Yeah. Like I think about people who are like, "Ooh, she was a voodoo priestess." Exactly. And like, Why are you making voodoo, which is voodoo and hoodoo, and these different religions that are different than yours, spiritual practices that are different than yours? Why are they suddenly like this weird, creepy thing to you? Because uh-huh. they don't fit in to your box. Okay, that's fine. But don't suddenly say like, well, then in turn, it must be evil. It must be wrong. It must be these things. And that's where I think you, you know, considering the larger cultural context of of what's going on is really important because I love investigating. I love researching more because then at least even if I'm not the boots on the ground, I can say like, hey, these (laughs) are things you need to consider in going into this space. And you don't always want to give everyone everything up top Mm -hmm. because you want people to experience or like, is this, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm experiencing this kind of stuff. But at the same time, if you put that projection, like going back to the Cecil, oh, it's this creepy haunted place. Mm -hmm. Then you've already decided it's a creepy haunted place. Yes. (laughs) Right. Like you, yeah. you've decided that you've absolutely decided mm-hmm. that. And you give a place like, yeah, I think you can give a place enough energy that it starts, you know, believe in start to get rolling. Yeah, sure. Yeah. However, if you are like and this is why I think it's so important to bridge these worlds between like academia and the woo and the esoteric and the occult and the paranormal, because we need more folks to understand how to do better research, to understand Mm -hmm. the history of places, to understand the socio and economic things that are happening around the places that they are investigating. Because our country is getting older. We're still like these petulant teenagers who are like, we know it all. And then other like Europe and Asia are like, (laughs) other parts of the world are like, okay, (laughs) you come back to us when you figure it out. But at the same time, like we are, we're not that old of a country. We don't really have things that go past the 1600s that when you go to other parts of the world, they're like, oh, this has been here. And they, you know, and you're just like, you can't even get your head wrapped around that. Right. And so I think it's really important that we have to, we have to understand, you know, I think land acknowledgement is really important. I think it's, good to know whose land you're on because this isn't our land mm-hmm. right you know james baldwin you mentioned a genocides like this country was built on the backs of like i'm paraphrasing but like the backs of two genocides and massacres right mm-hmm. those of the indigenous people and those of black folks and eventually black americans right because i don't want to say necessarily just african-american because africa africa the caribbean like different aspects of the world where folks were stolen and kidnapped from and brought to be enslaved right so you have these these things when you know i'm i'm always amazed when people are talking about like even education where they're like i just 
I'm really surprised that I was having a conversation with my friends recently and she was like, I'm really so surprised at how much there is to undo in the educational world. And I was like, I hear that, but I'm not surprised because our institutions were built for white elite males. That's what they're, and they weren't built by those white elite males. They were built by people who are not allowed to go to those schools. Yes. I go, we don't have historically black colleges because folks were like, no, no, we want our own college. Like, mm -hmm. that's not why we have historically black colleges. That's not why we have women's colleges. Yeah. We have those spaces set aside because uh, rich white guys were like, oh, no, no. We this get is all not the knowledge. We get all the. Yeah. 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 So. I know I go on a lot of tangents, but again, yes, this is so blend together. <laughs> it all leads Oscar, back. To... I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> he's he's been enjoying um enjoying the last couple of episodes that I've, that I've been doing. So this is gonna be this is gonna be a good episode. Um, I am so thankful that you did this. And I'm so stoked you had me on. I, yeah. I I I was bragging about the podcast to some other folks today too. I was like, you you checking that out? You got to check this out. So thank you so much.